Welcome to this verse-by-verse Bible teaching from Calvary Queen Creek in Arizona with Assistant Pastor Darrell Logan. We hope you're blessed by listening. Romans 10.17 says, Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. For more information, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org. Father God, we thank you for your Word. We thank you for allowing us to be your children. Thank you, Lord, for that gift of salvation and all the prayers you've answered, the prayers you will answer according to your will and your grace. Lord, you are an almighty God. There's nothing too hard for you. And so we lift up tonight. We pray that your word will go forth and not return void, not just in this building, but all across the campus where your word is being taught. We pray for safety on the grounds. We pray for open and sensitive hearts to your spirit and your word. And I pray for the gift of teaching and that, Lord, I'll surrender to you and decrease and allow you to increase all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're in Mark chapter 14. We're going to study verses 10 through 21. So again, Mark chapter 14, verses 10 through 21. And the title of tonight's lesson is, It's time for a self-examination. It's time for a self-examination. Now, an examination, of course, is a detailed inspection or investigation. And the condition of something is being tested when there's an examination being performed. And in regard to physical health, for example, we would get a medical examination to determine whether or not there are any health issues. But tonight, since we're talking about the Lord, we're talking about the word of God, we want to use this lesson to talk about a spiritual examination. And of course, that examination that I'm talking about is going to begin with us. And we'll see what that looks like. What this self-examination looks like as we dig into Mark chapter 14, beginning at the 10th verse. And so there in that 10th verse, it says, Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, that is one of the twelve apostles, he went to the chief or the leading priests to betray him to them, to betray Jesus to them. And when they heard it, they were glad. And they promised to give Judas money. And so he sought how he might conveniently betray him. Now in Luke chapter 22 verse 3, we find out that Satan had actually entered Judas. And then he went to these chief priests and the captains of the temple guard or police. In other words, these were commanders of the Levites who kept guard in and around the temple. The amount of money Judas betrayed Jesus for, the scriptures tell us, was 30 pieces of silver. It was about a month's income. And this was actually the price that was paid to the master of a slave or servant who had been gored by someone's ox. This was actually the price of a slave or servant. Now, after making this deal with the religious leaders, 
Judas Iscariot began to look for an opportunity to betray the Lord Jesus. And the scriptures tell us in Luke 22, 6, in the absence of the multitude, he wanted to do it away from the crowd of people. I just want to share with you that there's still people today who would betray Jesus and who are betraying Jesus. And it may come in the form of compromise. For example, some people betray Jesus or compromise against what he taught and what he stands for by giving in to money. Now, money itself, of course, is not evil, but 1 Timothy 6.10 tells us this. It says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness, and they pierce themselves through with many sorrows. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So, obviously, this is something that Judas Iscariot had. He had a love for money, more than a love for the Lord Jesus, the one who would go to the cross to die even for his sins. But of course, course, Judas wouldn't repent, and there's more to come on that, so I don't want to get ahead of myself. But in Mark 14, verse 12, it says, Now on the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where do you want us to go and prepare that you may eat the Passover? And Jesus sent out two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man will meet you carrying a pitcher or a jar of water. Follow him. The scriptures tell us that these two disciples that he sent ahead of him were Peter and John. And you can find that at Luke 22 verse 8. And then in verse 14, back in Mark chapter 14, it says, wherever he goes in, say to the master or owner of the house, the teacher says, where is the guest room in which I may eat the Passover with my disciples? You know, Matthew 26, verse 18 says it this way. It says, and he says, speaking of Jesus, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, notice this part, my time is at hand or my time has come. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples or followers. So Jesus knew that his time has come. The time has come for him to to pay the penalty for the sins of humanity. And it was time to keep the Passover. And he wanted to do that. Maybe in the next lesson, we'll, we'll get to the new meaning that he gives to this feast. But back in Mark fourteen fifteen, it says, Then he will show you a large upper room. He'll show you a room upstairs and it'll be furnished and prepared there Make ready for us. Go there and make preparations for us. So now this is the Thursday of that Passion Week, that week that Jesus would suffer and die on that cross. The scriptures tell us that it was on the first day of unleavened bread when they killed this Passover lamb. 
And as review for some of you who were here, maybe new to others, Passover was observed on the 14th day of Nisan, which will correspond to our March, April. And Nisan was the first month of the Jewish sacred calendar. And the Feast of Unleavened Bread was observed from the 15th through the 21st day of the month of Nisan. The Passover, by the way, again, this is review. It it commemorates the Israelites' deliverance from slavery in Egypt. Those who had the blood of the lamb on their doorframe, their firstborn was safe from the destroyer. The Lord passed over their houses, but there were many houses in Egypt where there was the death of the firstborn of the humans and of their livestock. And so again, the Passover just remembers that time that God miraculously delivered them from slavery in Egypt. Now, regarding the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the Lord said that for seven days, the children of Israel were to eat unleavened bread, bread that did not have any yeast in it. And this bread, by the way, that was made in a hurry without yeast, it represents how uh, the Lord had brought them out in haste. He brought them out quickly. One Bible scholar says this. He says, originally, the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread were separate observances, one following the other. But over time, the two had become one. So together, these celebrations lasted eight days. So in other words, from the 14th day of Nisan all the way through the 21st. And so that's why you see in the scriptures here, you know, there's a blend of the day, the first day of unleavened bread. And then it talks about the Passover lamb being killed there. And now as Jesus gave the instructions to Peter and John, he mentioned to them that they would see a man who was carrying a pitcher of water. Now, usually it was the job of the woman during that time to carry water in that water pot. Therefore, it would have been easy for them or it would be easy for them to spot this man who was doing a task that a man wouldn't normally do in that culture and at that time. And as Peter and John would go on to follow the man with this pitcher of water into a house, there they would speak with the master or the owner of the house and they would ask him about the guest room, this guest room in which Jesus could eat the Passover meal with his followers. And I have a question for us tonight. And the question is, have we made room for Jesus in our lives? You see, the owner of this house who allowed Jesus and the disciples to use that large upper room to eat that Passover meal. He made sure that there was room for Jesus. So have we left room in our lives for the Lord? Or is it too crowded out by our hobbies and entertainment and and things that we like to do? Is it crowded out by, by, by just things that just don't even really matter? Things that are not spiritual. Things that will not build us up. So have we left room in our lives for Jesus? And one thing I want you to notice is that this room was, was also furnished and it was prepared. It had the necessary things in it for them to have that Passover meal. So have we 
spiritually speaking, furnished and prepared our hearts to serve him. You know, the first question I asked was, have we left room in our lives for Jesus? But now have we furnished, have we prepared our hearts to serve him? Have we spent enough time in the word? Have we spent time in the word on a daily basis? Are we spending time in prayer? Are we meditating upon the word of God? And when I'm talking about, when I talk about meditating on the word of God, think of a cow who chews its cud and it chews that cud, it swallows it and spits it back up and it chews it out again, chews it up again, getting all of the juices and nutrients out of it. So when you meditate upon the word of God, are you chewing on it? Are you looking at it left and right, diagonally, backwards and forward? Are you chewing on it, swallowing it, and bringing it back up again, chewing on it some more. And that way we can have our hearts prepared to serve him, furnished and prepared. In verse 16, it says, so his disciples went out and they came into the city and they found it just as Jesus had said to them and they prepared the Passover. Now in the evening, he came with the twelve the evening of that Thursday night of Passion Week. And now in verse 18, as they sat and ate, Jesus said, Assuredly, I say to you, one of you who eats with me will betray me. Now at one point, the scriptures would tell us in John chapter 13 that as they were in this upper room, Jesus would get up from supper and he would wash his disciples' feet. Now, in doing that, he showed them an example of humility or of being humble. He showed them an example of service. And so here you have the king of kings, the Lord of lords. You have the creator in a man's body doing the work of a servant, their Lord and master, setting an example for them. And at the same time, setting an example for us. So do we have a heart of humility? Do we have the heart of a servant? Scriptures say troubled in spirit. Jesus would then go on to tell his disciples that one of them is going to betray him. You know, in Psalm 41, verse 9, it says, Even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. In other words, has turned against me. And so, of course, the Holy Spirit, God is the author of the scriptures, of the Bible. But the man he used to give his breathe out or inspired word to in this moment, in this verse, is none other than King David. And so I believe that David may have been referencing a personal experience, but also we see that this verse was prophetic of what Jesus the Messiah or Jesus the Christ would experience. And so what you have here in Psalm 41, verse 9, you have a near and a far reference. And you see that with some prophecies. Some prophecies have a near reference, something that is more immediate, more in the context, dealing with the context at that time. And then you have a far reference. The far reference in this case is 
something prophetic about Jesus, the Messiah, being betrayed by someone close to him. And although, although Jesus knew that he would be betrayed, notice that he didn't take off running from that room. Notice he didn't kick Judas out of the group. Notice that he didn't go into that upper room and lock the door so that Judas would be stuck outside. No, Judas knew, I'm sorry, Jesus knew that he was going to be betrayed. But yet and still, he did not run from his purpose. So how about us? How are we doing in this area? Are we running from what God called us to do? Because we know that there's going to be a tough spot or a rough patch coming ahead on that road. Are we running from that? Like what it says in in Acts chapter 14 verses 21 and 22. Because it says, and when they, speaking of Paul and Barnabas, had preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch and strengthening the souls of the disciples, exhorting them or encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying, and this is the part I want to focus on, we must, through many tribulations or hardships, enter the kingdom of God. How many people will want to be Christians when, when they hear that? Or if they were to hear the apostle Paul and Barnabas say this, and they weren't believers at the time, How many of them would have just turned around? So we must, through many tribulations or hardships, enter the kingdom of God. We're not going to run from that. Because we know that for us, there's something better that lies ahead. We have that hope, that hope that is in Christ Jesus. And when I talk about hope, Biblically, I'm not talking about something that's uncertain. Oh, I hope I get this or I hope I get that or I hope I get to heaven. No, we're talking about a joyful expectation of coming good. Oh, that's the hope of the scriptures. It is a certainty. Oh, it's coming. We, we have that. And so knowing what lies ahead for us, knowing that physical death for us, All that means for us is that we're going to be present with the Lord, as the scriptures tell us. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Because we know that there's no reason for us to run from what God is calling us to do. Just because we know that a rough spot is coming. Our Savior didn't do that. And I know he's God, but he set a godly example for us. Him being God. And we have the Holy Spirit indwelling us to to give us boldness. And yes, we may need an extra dose of boldness. So there's, there's nothing wrong with praying that prayer. Lord, I need some boldness today. There's nothing wrong with that. I know that there's a rough patch ahead. I know what your scriptures say that there's going to be many tribulations or hardships on my way to entering the kingdom of God, on my way to eternity. But, Lord, I need your boldness. Lord, I need more grace to help in my time of need. There's nothing wrong with that prayer. Mark 14, verse 19, it says, And they began to be sorrowful, speaking of the disciples that he just spoke to and told them that someone amongst them is going to betray him. 
And they began to say to him one by one, is it I? And another said, is it I? And he answered and said to them, it is one of the 12 who dips with me in the dish. In other words, who dips bread with me in the dish. The son of man indeed goes just as it is written of him, but woe, which is an exclamation of grief. Woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. In other words, he's saying how terrible it will be for the person who hands the son of man over to be killed. And he says that it would have been good for that man if he had never been born. Matthew 26, 25 says the following. It says, then Judas, who was betraying him, answered and said, Rabbi, is it I? Jesus said to him, you have said it. Now, of course, there's more blanks to fill in. So if you're interested for, for more information on Judas being identified as the betrayer, I would encourage you to read John chapter 13, verses 21 through 30. Now, in those days, speaking of these meals and, and how they would get together and partake of these meals, what would happen is there would be this U-shaped table, and this table was low to the ground. And so in order to eat, a person would have to recline around this table and they would have to lean on one arm. And they, as they would lean on that one arm to, to prop themselves up, the other hand would be free so they can dip bread, for example, into a common dish. And we find out in John 13 that, that as they recline, as Jesus was there reclining and they were partaking of this Passover meal, it tells us that John was sitting next to Jesus on, on one side and we get from other scriptures that Judas was sitting at Jesus' other side because it says, for he dipped his hand into the dish with the, with the Lord. Now to eat or to break bread, in other words, to share a meal with someone during that time and in that culture, it was actually a sign of friendship. It was a sign of mutual trust. And when you think about that, it's no wonder that, that some of those religious leaders who were critical of Jesus and the disciples, it's no wonder why they would criticize him for eating with sinners. But of course, Jesus was not approving of those sinners' sin or of their lifestyle. He was there because they needed a doctor, because they were sick in sin and they, they were on their way to hell. Because of this spiritual sickness, that's how, why he was there. But yeah, they knew that when you shared this meal with someone, it was a sign of friendship and mutual trust. And, and with that in mind, that, that paints a very ugly and heartbreaking picture of Judas's betrayal of Jesus. Heartbreaking. I wonder tonight how many of you have been betrayed, and I would venture that there's some of you in here who have experienced that. But based on the scriptures, and, and I know that you know this because many of you are Bible scholars in here that know that Jesus experienced it too. And because he is God, because he loves us, and because he experienced it in his humanity, he is able to comfort those and help those overcome who have these feelings 
of hurt and unforgiveness and even feelings of bitterness. And so you have in one person, you have two natures. He has a divine nature. He has a human nature. And I'm very careful with my words here. I say it human nature. He didn't have a sin nature. Human nature, not sin nature. So human nature, meaning that, okay, he had to rest in his humanity like the rest of us did. He sat down, he slept, he drank water, he ate food. In his humanity, he was at one place at one time. But in his deity, of course, we we knew that he was omniscient, that he knew all things. The scripture even tell us that Jesus didn't need anyone to tell him about man because he already knew what was in man. And so he already knew who was truly seeking him and who wasn't truly seeking him. And so Jesus being divine, Jesus being God, of course, he knows all things. Those of us who may have experienced betrayal or the hurt and pain or whatever it may be. Oh, in his omniscience, he, he, he's aware of that. But also in Jesus' humanity, he has actually felt that as a human. And what a blessing that is that he sees both sides. The divine side and the human side. And therefore, he is able to be a faithful high priest to us. And that's what a priest does. A, a priest represents humans to God and God to humans. And so Jesus is able to faithfully and effectively stand in the gap between humanity and God. Because he is God and he lived the life as a perfect human. And so when we think about that, well, that should give us high regard, a higher regard for Jesus. And I would encourage you in your spare time to read the letter to the Hebrews. Uh, the letter to the Hebrews, it tells us that Jesus is greater than Moses. He's greater than the angels. Tells us that he's greater than Joshua, that he's greater than any high priest who came from the tribe of Levi. In fact, he came from a higher order of high priests. He came of the order of Melchizedek. Who's not even a part of the tribe of Levi. Let's remember Judah. Judah is the tribe that Jesus is from. But Jesus is of a higher order. He's a faithful high priest to us. So whatever you may go in through, if it is betrayal and bitterness that is beginning to set in because of that, He's able to give you that comfort and that peace and to walk you through it and to help you to overcome that. But something else I want to point out there in in verse 21 is is very important. And and it's it's a subject that has caused many believers, many people to to almost have some kind of headache or some kind of aneurysm or at least close to it. And, And what I'm talking about is the sovereignty of God and the free will of man. Not knowing how to reconcile it, but, but in verse 21, we see both together, the sovereignty of God and man's free will. See there in verse 21, just to reread it, it says, the son of man indeed goes, notice, just as it is written of him. 
as God the Father had planned. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. So you have the free will of man. Sovereignty of God, free will of man. And so now a sovereign God or as sovereign God who's in control of the entire universe, his plan for Jesus to die for the sins of the world would be fulfilled. You see that? Now the Son of Man indeed goes just as it is written of him. God's sovereignty. He planned this before the foundations of the world. He planned this in eternity to send his son, to send Jesus to die for the sins of the world. And it's about that time, according to our lesson tonight, for, for Jesus to fulfill that. But then we see that Judas used his own free will to betray Jesus. But guess what? God allowed it and he used it to fulfill his plan. We even see this even in the life of Joseph. And you can read the story in the Old Testament of what his brothers did to him. So Joseph was going on and become second in command in Egypt. He would go on to do great things in Egypt. God would use him to help preserve the lives of his family members. And in doing that, preserve the lives of the Israelites. And so at one point in the scriptures, the, the brothers began to feel bad. But Joseph told them, he indicated, I'm not mad at you because what you meant for evil. So by your free will, you meant to do evil to me. But God in his sovereignty meant it for good. So even we even see there how God's sovereignty and man's free will will come together. But also, I want you to look at Acts chapter 4, verses 27 and 28. Now, the context here is, is Peter and John being released from, from custody of the religious leaders. And after they were released from custody, they met with other Christians. They met with other saints. And as they were released and they told the story of what happened, the saints began to praise God and to pray and included in that prayer is what we see here in Acts 4, verses 27 and 28. It says, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod, speaking of Herod Antipas, and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. In other words, it was predetermined or decided beforehand that Jesus would go to that cross and people like Herod and Pontius Pilate and the Gentiles, religious leaders and Judas, for example, would all be against Christ. They would use their own free will. But again, God is sovereign and complete control. Used it to accomplish his purpose. The purpose that he set in motion, that he planned in eternity. And so the fact that no human and no demonic act can derail God's plan actually makes Romans 8.28 even more encouraging. Because we, we, can know, we know it and many of us can quote it. It says, and we know that all things work together for good 
to those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. And so God can take whatever bad that is going on in your life. He can take even good experiences, those uncomfortable experiences in your life, those times of betrayal, those times of hurt and, and pain, those times of frustrations, the time when maybe you lost a job or you lost a loved one. Those times when there's some angry neighbor just bugging you and getting on your nerves. He can, he can take all of that and work all things, not some things together for good. But notice he's speaking about Christians because it says to those who love God and those who are the called according to what? To his purpose. So there's no demonic act. There is no human free will that can derail God's plan. It's going to work all things together for good. And we'll see that, of course, even with this Judas betrayal situation. We'll, we'll see that as Jesus goes to the cross, pays the penalty of our sin, is resurrected. Scriptures tell us that he was raised for our justification. So there's no resurrection. There's no justification. Justification meaning that we can now be declared righteous. That means Christ's righteousness is imputed into our spiritual account and we are no longer guilty. That is our standing that doesn't change. But when it talks about our spiritual walk, sanctification now we have to become what we are in our standing we're declared righteous righteousness is our standing and now as we live and as we grow as we get the word in us and as the holy spirit empowers us and changes us and leads us now we begin to sin less and live more like christ and so now we are becoming in our lifestyle, we're becoming in our experience, we're becoming in our practice what we already are in our standing, and that's righteousness. And it's because Jesus was resurrected for us. So did some good come out of that betrayal? Absolutely. Now, there are a couple of things that stand out in this lesson about effective spiritual self-examination and the first thing that stands out that we learn from this lesson is to don't or to not be focused on finding fault in someone else don't be focused on finding fault in someone else now notice the disciples initial reaction to the news that someone in their group is going to betray him now they weren't pointing fingers they they didn't just call somebody by name and say hey you must be the betrayer in fact john 13 22 tells us that the disciples looked at one another and they were uncertain about who jesus was even talking about in regard to that betrayer they were uncertain they were perplexed this the the new king james version says in john 13 22 you're trying to figure it out. Luke twenty two twenty three does say that they began to question among themselves which of them it was who would do this thing. And so what we get from that is that it was not obvious to them about who would betray Jesus. But as we take Matthew twenty six twenty two and and Mark chapter fourteen nineteen into account, 
they all still considered themselves in hopes of ruling out themselves as the betrayer. They all took a look at themselves, so to speak. They asked the question, is it I? One by one, Jesus, is it I? Some translations say that the question was posed in this manner, surely not I. But the point I want to make is, When it comes to effective spiritual self-examination, don't be focused on finding fault in someone else. But first, look at ourselves. And that will make sense when we look at the example in our lesson. That will make sense because we have a sin nature. Yes, we're believers and we have a new nature from God. We're born again, but we still have a sin nature. A nature that's inclined to sin. And that's why we must walk in the spirit. And if we walk in the spirit, as Galatians tell us, then we will not fulfill the desires of our flesh. But yes, we must consider ourselves. You know, when you hear a, a message or when you hear a scripture or read a scripture that seems con- convicting. You know, don't nudge your neighbor and say, oh, this is for you. Or don't go home and call somebody. Oh, you should have been there. They were talking about you on that stage. They were talking about your sin. No, look at us. We have a sin nature too, right? In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Oh, if you think that you are standing strong spiritually, that you can't be rocked, that that you can't be moved and of course in christ we can't be moved so we stay focused on him we can't be moved but sometimes we begin to get proud and oh i got victory over that sin now i i can stop going to church i can close my bible i can stop going to that small group now i'm i'm good now i can stop asking for prayer In fact, I can stop spending time in prayer. I got what I want. I'm as strong as I'm going to be. But let him who thinks he stands take heed. Be careful lest he fall. So once again, don't be focused on finding fault in someone else. Take heed. Keep our, our guard up. Be careful lest we fall. But something else we can learn about effective spiritual self examination is this. Examining ourselves should not eliminate God and his standard from that self-examination. So in other words, we don't use our own standard in self-examination when it's examining our spiritual walk. But remember, we, we allow God to be in the picture. We do not eliminate him from the picture. We don't eliminate his standard or the word of God from the picture when it comes to self-examination of our spiritual walk. And so if we do that, that is another key based on the lesson tonight of effective spiritual self-examination. You see, like the disciples, we need to go to the Lord to show us where we are in our walk. In other words, we need that temperature check. So when I go to the gym that I go to, I won't name the gym. They want us to wear a mask in the gym. 
They even, they even take our temperature in the gym. They use this non-contact infrared thermometer to make sure that our, our body temperature is not higher than the normal. And according to what I learned, normal body temperature for humans is what, 98.6 degrees Fahrenheit. And so they want to make sure as I walk into that gym that nothing is off. And so when I talk about it, that it's time to self-examine ourselves or to self-examine our spiritual walk, I'm talking about taking our spiritual temperature. I'm talking about a spiritual temperature check. That's what we're talking about tonight. We want to make sure that there's not nothing that's off in our walk, that there's nothing off in our lives. Spiritual temperature check. You see, one thing we can do as we allow him to be in the equation, in the examination, we can go to him first of all in prayer. We can ask the Lord to reveal anything in us that's off. Lord, is there anything in our spiritual temperature that's off? Lord, am, am I acting like a Judas? Have I been a Judas lately? Have I been acting like a betrayer lately, Lord? Lord, show me if I've been selfish lately. Father, show me if I've been having wrong priorities lately. If I've been putting anything above you, money or job or family, marriages. If I've been putting anything above you, Lord, lately, show that to me because I don't want to betray you. I don't want to have the heart of Judas. Oh, my God, have I been loyal only on the surface, but not truly loyal in my heart to you? Have I been hanging around your disciples, the, the other 11 apostles, so to speak, and I'm looking good and I'm hanging around them and th- good things are being done. Demons are being cast out, but I'm not really loyal in my heart. Oh, have I been that Judas lately, Lord? I, I need that spiritual temperature check self-examination and so we want to allow the Lord to be in the picture and we want to go to him in prayer and allow him to examine our hearts the scripture tells us that that man looks at the outer appearance but the Lord looks at the heart so he's able to take our temperature when it comes to our spiritual walk now also as we spend time with the Lord by by reading his word by reading the Bible I would encourage you to pause and, and ask the Lord where you are in regard to that topic. So, in other words, if you, if you come to a topic in the Bible as you're reading a certain verse and it's about love, ask the Lord, Lord, have I been loving? Have I been loving my enemies or at least those who consider themselves my enemy? Have I been loving my wife as Christ loved the church? Have I been loving my neighbor? Have I been loving the brethren? You know, Jesus says that people will know that we are his disciples, that we are his followers by the love that we, sh- that we have for one another. So that's another way we can take that temperature check spiritually is as we come to those verses, chew on it. Lord, is this me or is this not me? You come to a verse about forgiving others. Lord, have I been forgiving a forgiving person? 
Lord, you have forgiven me of so much. Have I, I've been withholding forgiveness. Or as I come to verses about mercy, compassion, or about grace, Lord, have I been gracious to others? Have I been generous? Have I been kind? When I come to the scripture in Galatians 5, And I read about the fruit of the spirit. Lord, is the fruit of the spirit evident in my life? Lord, take my spiritual temperature. This is a self-examination and I need you in this examination, Lord, to examine my heart. When you come to the scriptures on anger, my God, how am I doing with anger? Am I allowing the sun to go down on my anger? Or am I dealing with it before I go to bed? Spiritual temperature check. And God is faithful. Just like he told the truth about who is going to betray him in our lesson tonight. He'll tell us the truth about where we are spiritually. As the worship team takes the stage. I want to throw this out there to maybe someone in the room or maybe someone online. Because that maybe there's someone who say they receive Christ. Maybe there's someone who made a mouth profession that, oh yeah, Jesus is Lord. But then there's no fruit to match. There's no works to match. Now the scriptures are very clear that we are not saved by good works. But as true believers, we'll have works that are evident of salvation, of a person who's been born again. So maybe there's somebody who say they receive Christ, but, but there's no fruit. There's no fruit. In fact, there's works of the flesh, no fruit of the spirit. Then on top of that, as you do your thing, there's no chastisement from the Lord. And the Lord says that he'll chastise those who he loves. Which says that if he deals with us that way, then we are sons and we are not illegitimate. If we're chastised by God. It's true believers. So maybe there's someone in that place, you made that mouth profession, but there's no evidence of, of real change. I would encourage you to do what it says in 2 Corinthians 13, 5. It says, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you are disqualified. In other words, unless you have failed the test of genuine faith. You know, in Jesus, we've been saying it for weeks and weeks now. Jesus is coming back for his bride. He's coming back for the church and what we call the rapture where he snatches us up from this earth and we meet him in the air. And we will forever be with the Lord And guess what? We want people to go with us in that rapture. I'm looking forward to it. And I hope you're looking forward to it. 
And so maybe there's somebody who's playing games with the Lord. We don't have time for games. It's time for a self-examination. And so this verse here is very appropriate. Examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for your word. Yes, Lord, we pray that you'll search our hearts and reveal to us if there's something in us that is not of you. And Lord, if we are walking in your way, if we are pleasing you, we pray that you'll let us know that as well, that we be encouraged to keep on keeping on. And Lord, for the person who's been playing games with you, Lord, we we do pray for conviction and that you would draw them to Jesus as your son is coming back. And I pray for anybody in here who maybe be, maybe they're encouraged or convicted or whatever the case is, Lord by anything that was said in this message. I pray for them, Lord, that if there is a struggle that was pointed out, Lord, that you would help them to overcome that. You're able, Lord. Help them to surrender that to you. Or if there's someone who has lost focus and allowed other other things to get in the way, between you and them, I pray that you'll reveal that to them, Lord, and help them to remove whatever that thing is out the way so that they would go into deeper fellowship with you, Father. And I pray for every saint in this building, every saint that's viewing online, every saint that will be listening, whether it's a podcast or CD, whatever it is, I pray that you'll equip your people I do pray for an extra dose of boldness, as I shared earlier. I pray, Lord, that you stir our hearts to do your will. Your word says, for it is you who works in us both to will and to do what pleases you. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to be more intentional about ministering to the saints. Help us to be more intentional about sharing the gospel. All the while, Lord, as the lesson stated maybe a week or so ago, all the while we're watching. We're waiting for our Savior. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If anybody needs prayer, we'll be here ready to pray with you. I just want to thank you all for coming out. Thank you for your prayers. Um, I just pray that you would have a safe drive home and may God bless you in a mighty way this week and use you in a mighty way. Amen. We love you. God bless. Thank you for listening to this teaching from God's Word. If you have any questions, would like to request prayer, or want more information about our church, how you can experience the love and hope of Jesus Christ in your life, please visit calvaryqueencreek.org.